Good morning. Isn't it good to worship the Lord together this morning? Now we get to give attention to his word together. So Revelation chapter 20. Can you guys hear me? Okay, great. Well, if you have been here or you haven't been here, let me fill you in on what's going on in the book. The cosmic war has been raging since chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. The dragon has been hunting the woman. The dragon is Satan himself, the devil, the ancient enemy. The woman is the people of God, the bride of Christ, defenseless upon the earth and hunted by this dragon. The dragon throughout from chapter 12 to now has employed three main lieutenants to persecute and harm the church. The first was the beast, coercive with its power, seeking to persecute and harm and compel, if possible, the people of God to stop worshiping Christ. The second lieutenant was the false prophet who comes speaking the lies of false religion to the world, ensnaring millions and billions into the worship of idols and to the pursuit of God in directions where God is not. Seeking to, to sow doubt into the church. The third lieutenant was the prostitute seeking to seduce the world and if possible the church into sin and worldliness and away from her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the battle. Last week, we saw the final battle where Christ comes riding on a white horse to his church's aid, defending his people and defeating the wicked and destroying the lieutenants of the dragon. This week, we're gonna watch that last battle a second time. Chapter 20 repeats what chapter 19 talks about. It is if you want a different camera angle on the same battle. Now listen, when the scripture tells us something, we should listen. When the scripture tells us something two times in a row, it's like God already got his highlighter out for you in the passage, right? He wants you to know about this because the church needs to know about this because it's not obvious that Jesus wins. It's really easy to have eyes, church, that are conditioned to this world, that are temporal, where all we see is what we see. And it, it affects how we think and how we feel and how we act, and how we serve Jesus. So listen, uh, Revelation is not the easiest book in our Bible. And so very often, and it'll be this way this morning, we're gonna spend a majority of our time trying to get our arms around what does this say? And that's good and right. We want, we must get our arms around what does this say? We gotta hear from the Lord. 
But I don't want to miss the, the fact that, that when the Lord speaks, it's not just about what does he say, but what is he calling us to? And so the call, I want to put the call right up front, is that we develop eternal eyes. That our eyes be affected by what we're seeing here. That, that we begin to look differently at the world that we live in, that we anticipate differently the future in light of what the Lord reveals here. It's meant to affect our vision and affect our eyes and to give us eternal eyes. So before we read, let me just explain what's about to happen. So John just finished telling us about the last battle. But remarkably in that last battle, everybody was destroyed of God's enemies except the dragon. Didn't mention the dragon. And so now John is gonna back up and rewind the tape a little bit. Back to, for those of you that remember tapes that could be rewound, all right? He's gonna rewind the tape a little bit and hit play again so that we can focus on the demise of the dragon and see his fall. He's actually gonna rewind all the way back to the cross. And so we're gonna have two points this morning as we go through this section. We're gonna first consider the first victory of Christ, that is to say, his victory on the cross. And then we're gonna consider the final victory of Christ where the dragon is finally and fully defeated. So those are our two points, the first victory of Christ and the final victory of Christ. We're in Revelation chapter 20, follow along. We're gonna be considering the first 10 verses together this morning. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse one from God's word. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. 
and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. God, would you speak now through your word? Give us eyes to see, hearts to understand your word. Lord, we admit this is a challenging passage. Lord, would you, would you help us to move from, from being challenged to understand it to being challenged by it? That you would transform us through your word. In your name, amen. Amen. So the first point this morning is Christ's first victory. His first victory. John sees an angel coming down from heaven. In one hand is the key to the bottomless pit, the key to hell itself. In the other, a massive chain. Have you ever seen one of those chains that like holds up an anchor for like a cargo ship or something like that? You know, where the link of the chain is bigger than me, each link, right? Like a massive chain. I'm thinking of a chain that big. A chain suitable to chain up the dragon himself. Comes with the chain in one hand and the key in another and the angel approaches the dragon and seizes the dragon and binds the dragon. Wraps the chain about him. The dragon is being spiritually handcuffed, all right? This is an arrest scene in the Bible. He's being arrested. He's being handcuffed, being shackled. And then he is thrown into the bottomless pit where the lid is shut, the door is locked, and it is sealed. This is the second time in the book of Revelation that we get a, an image, a picture of what happened when Christ died on the cross. This is the second time when we get a picture of what was going on spiritually when Christ was suffering on the cross. The first was back when the war started in chapter 12. Some of you were here of those. It's hard to remember what happened in chapter 12. So back in chapter 12, when this war got started, we saw picturing again what Jesus did on the cross, Michael the archangel leading the host of heaven against the dragon and against his forces. And the dragon was thrown down out of heaven. And he, he no longer had the ability to accuse Christians in heaven anymore. So the first victory of Christ, first time we saw the victory of Christ in Revelation, it was a military scene as the, the, the kingdom of heaven uh, went to war with the kingdom of hell and Jesus won. This is not a military scene. This is police action as the angel comes down and arrests the devil and locks him up. Scripture often speaks of the victory of Christ on the cross in terms of victory. And it needs to speak in those terms because it looked like defeat, right? Nothing looks so much like defeat as dying at the hands of your enemies. And yet scripture often speaks of it as victory. And in fact, Jesus talked about it as a victory. So do you remember back in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Very often Jesus would be going about and he would cast out a demon out of someone. Now, I, when, when you read that, I wonder what you, what you think about, you know? 
probably the first time you read that is go, wow, I didn't know there were demons. It's not obvious in our world. Tend to stay hidden these days. So he cast out demons. We say, oh, so what does he do in there? Well, I see he's got power over this demon. Yes, we should see that. He's got love for this person, even though they were so far from God. Yes, we should see that. But Jesus himself interpreted what was going on there back in Mark chapter three. And, and he, he compared himself of all things to a robber. If Jesus hadn't done that, none of us would. He compares himself to a robber going into a house to steal some goods. Now, if you're gonna go into a house and steal some goods, there's one thing you should know before you go in. Is there a tough guy awake in the house or not? Right? It's a good thing to know. If there is a tough guy awake in the house, here's what you need to do. You need to take care of the tough guy first. All right? Don't go in and grab his watch off the counter. All right? Because he's going to come grab you. Right? You got to take care of the tough guy first. So Jesus says that in order for him to do this, to come into the kingdom of darkness and cast out demons, in order for him to just enter the kingdom of darkness and begin pulling people out, what's he do? He's robbing the enemy. He's plundering the enemy's kingdom. He is as it were, a robber in the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus is saying, I can't just come in and do this unless I do something first. I have to first bind the strong man. I have to bind the strong man. And then once he's bound up and tied up, then I can plunder anything I want. That's how he talked about his mission on earth. Mark chapter three. Binding the strong man. What Jesus talked about in Mark chapter three, we read about in Revelation chapter 20. The strong man is being bound. The dragon is being chained. He's being thrown in and the lid is being shut. And he is bound for a particular purpose. And we need to notice here what the purpose is. So verse three tells us part of that purpose says it threw, that they threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that, here's the purpose, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So he is bound, Satan is bound so that he cannot deceive the nations any longer. Now, you might, you might think, Really? Like, that's what Jesus did his first time? Because it doesn't seem to me like Satan's very bound right now. Like, isn't he prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour? Indeed he is. Is he impotent? No, he's not. And in fact, the passage isn't saying that he's impotent, not at all. There's a specific way that he's bound and a specific deception he's stopped from doing. And we have to kept, catch the whole uh, picture to see it. So in order to know what he was stopped from doing, what we should do is see, well, what does he do when he gets out? What does he do when he gets out of prison? Because prison was keeping him from doing that. And we see what happens when he gets out of prison. So if you look down, verse seven, this is what Satan does as soon as he's released. 
when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from prison. And he will come out as we expect. He will come out to deceive the nations. Good. Why? To deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So when the dragon is released, he will come and deceive the nations to go to war against God and against his people. He will deceive the nations and gather from the four corners of the earth, all peoples to surround who? To surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. This is a way of speaking of the people of God. All right, let's get our arms around the passage then. What's, what's happening here? We live at a time, you and I live at a time, between the first victory of Christ and the final victory of Christ, right? The first victory of Christ, we're seeing the, that Satan has been bound. So we live in this time where Satan is bound. In what way is he bound? He is bound for marshalling all the corners of the earth to destroy the church. That's what he's bound. He can't do it. He can't do it right now. Is he bound in every way? No, he's not. There are so many ways in which he is not bound. Is there still a prostitute tempting the church and seducing the world away? Yes, she is doing so with the wine of her spiritual adultery. Is there still a false prophet speaking lies about God and seeking even to pull away the elect if possible? to follow after a way which is not Jesus Christ. Yes, the airwaves are saturated by the lies of the false prophet. And is there still a beast eager to coerce the church into idolatry and to force the church to stop worshiping her Lord? Yes, that cruel beast is at work. There are many places you could go right now in this world. We could not gather to worship where there was coercion, state-enforced coercion. But here's what the dragon can't do. He can't bring about that coercion across the entire world all at once. He is bound from doing that. And listen, doesn't this make sense? Doesn't he want to do that? Does he not want to snuff out the church. That's the whole picture in Revelation from chapter 12 and on is the dragon trying to destroy this woman and God is preventing him from doing that. He cannot defeat the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. He cannot rally the world to annihilate the church. He can't get a, a unified worldwide movement against the people of God to destroy the bride. He can't do it. Glory to God. He can't do it. Until the end. And then he will be released to do just that. Until the end, when right before this last battle, when history is about to conclude, the dragon will be released. The prison doors will be opened. The chain will be removed. The handcuffs will come off and horror of horrors, the dragon will be put on parole and will be let out of prison and he will rush and he will run 
And he will race to rally the world against the people of God. It's what he does. Verse seven, eight, nine. He runs to the world and deceives them and gathers them together to come on, let's fight against the church. Now's our chance. We've got her just where we want her. Now, some of you are wondering about the fact that it keeps talking about this thousand years as is what we've just seen throughout the book of Revelation. Our initial instinct should be that numbers are symbolic. And we've seen the the number a thousand several times through the book and it just speaks of a great big number. So in other words, it's not meant to, to be like the way you'd report history. It's, it's meant to speak of just a long time. And we are in that long time right now where the dragon is bound from some things, but his lieutenants are very, very busy. So praise God right now, the church is protected by the fact that the dragon is prevented from destroying her. Nonetheless, the view of the church on earth, it's a tough view. It's tough. The passage gives us a view of the church in heaven. And that's an, that's a, that's an amazing view. View on earth we're familiar with. It's not a pretty picture. Church, depending on where you go, haggard and tired. I think the church here in America has to deal with the prostitute day in and day out. And the church in North Korea is hunted by the beast. And maybe the church in Thailand is, is dealing most with the false prophet that is Buddhism as it tries to discern truth from error. Church is in a tough place upon the earth. Some martyred by the beast, some fighting the doubts, some battling temptation. She is bruised and battered and bloody. And that's what you'll see with your eyes when you see the church. And even in America and even in your life, you've seen the church. Chances are good this isn't your first church. You've been at some other churches and you've seen sin, failings, warts, weaknesses. Welcome here. If you stick around, you'll see sin, failings, warts, weaknesses. Church on earth is not a whole lot to look at. I think that's why we picked the slogan for us, ordinary people at Mercy Hill. Ordinary. Serving an extraordinary God, amen. But we, we deal with the same problems that the culture around us is dealing with, the same difficulties, the same heartaches, same aging and parenting and issues of life. And then on top of that, we're seeking by God's grace to pursue holiness in a culture that knows nothing of it. Pursue Christ in a world where everybody's running the other way. If Paul were to talk about our church, he'd probably use words like he did Another church in scripture, not many wise, not many powerful, not many impressive, not much to look at. Look for a moment through John's eyes in verse four. This is the gathered church who has gone home. 
Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So here's, here's this picture. John begins to speak of what he sees of the church gathered in heaven during these thousand years. During, during this church age, what does the church in heaven look like? Well, first he mentions, rightly so, the martyrs. Leading, leading the, the line. Those who have been beheaded for the sake of Christ. But they're not the only ones here. It's the martyrs. It's those who refuse to worship the beast. Refuse to take that mark upon themselves. Said, no, I'm identified with Jesus. I'm gonna worship Jesus. I'm gonna follow Jesus. These are the people of God who are sealed, not by this false thing of the beast, but are sealed by the Holy Spirit, washed in the blood of the lamb and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. That's who we see right here. And what are they busy doing? They're busy reigning with Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is that amazing picture again where, do you remember what I, I said a few minutes ago? If, if Jesus didn't tell us that his death was a victory, we would never have known because it didn't look like victory. If he didn't tell us right here that the church is winning, we wouldn't know that either. But guess what? The church is winning. And she arrayed in white, is even now reigning with Jesus Christ. It goes on to say in verse six, over such the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Priests of God. What does that even mean? To be a priest unto God in his very presence. Reminds me of the funeral and the fact that there's a new priest of God. There's a new throne occupied right now by a brother that many of us knew just days and months ago. Ordinary believers, ordinary believers who are worshiping Jesus instead of the beast, are reigning with Jesus today. That is amazing. So let me ask you, can you see the church? Can you see her? Can you see her triumphant? Do you see her with her king, reigning by his side, glorious and victorious? Here's what I mean. I think if you saw what John saw of the church for five seconds, you would never treat a Christian the same way again. Because there's nothing ordinary about what he sees. There's a dignity and a glory to the bride of Christ 
that is reigning by his side. These are eternal eyes that can see the church. And eternal eyes see the glory of the church. So is Mercy Hill ordinary people? Yes. We are ordinary people. But is the church only ordinary people? No, indeed. The church is the bride of Christ for whom he died. There is no one more precious, more valued to him than her. Ordinary saints are gonna be sitting on thrones. The weak among us will be reigning with Christ. The annoying person at care group Why are you laughing? <laughs> we'll be radiant with glory. Do you know the honor that it is to serve the bride of Christ in her days of difficulty, in her days of ordinary, in her days of wearing rags before she wears these white gowns? It is eternal eyes that see the glory of the church. Everyone you see in this room, that is to say everyone who you see in this room who is actually following Jesus, following after him, will be unrecognizably glorious on that day. Everyone here. And right now, we have the privilege of serving them. Right now. Those that, honestly, I think if we saw them today, we would be tempted, like John often is, to fall down and worship a human being as they sit on that throne next to Christ. But today, we have the opportunity of serving, of bearing each other's burdens, of forgiving each other, bearing with each other, of welcoming each other, of helping, of honoring. Do you see the church with eternal eyes? Do you see it when you're serving in children's ministry? You need eternal eyes to serve well in children's ministry. Future little members, God willing, of the bride of Christ that we get to serve in their youth, maybe before they even know him, and help deliver them to their husband? Yes, Lord. What a privilege that is. Or working on the worship team through the week to get that song just right so that you can lead the saints in worship. Or showing up early like a bunch of people did to get the baptismal ready and all the chairs ready. Do you see the bride with eternal eyes? You see the church with eternal eyes? And if so, do you make time to serve his bride? Do you make it to care group? I I tell you, if you saw her, you'd be there. You'd be there. are, Are you committed to ordinary people? Playing your part in the body to helping them become more like Jesus? Forgiving each other and helping each other? Listen, when the church sits in her glory, 
the Lord will not forget those who served her in her weakness. He will not forget. He will honor those who served her. So eternal eyes see the church, see the glory of the church. All right, second point then. We saw the first victory of Christ. We see the church reigning with Christ. Now we're gonna see the final victory of Christ. Final victory. So that kind of happens down in verse seven through 10. The dragon is released. The end of time, he gathers the nations to war. And just like we read last week, the nations gather. Different camera lens this time, but they're gathering against the beloved city. That is the new Jerusalem, the people of God, the camp of the saints, all the different ways that it talks about the church. And the bride has no escape. The camp is surrounded. The city is besieged. The dragon laughs and the wicked pursue and the church falters and the future dims. And then God, verse nine. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes all the earthly enemies of God, all the wicked. It's very similar to what we saw last week. Last week, it was the sword coming from the mouth of Christ who was riding on the white horse of victory that slew his enemies only by his word. And here we see his word looks like fire coming down from heaven and destroying his enemies. And then the dragon. The dragon who was freed just the day before pouncing with hate-filled lust upon his prey, is destroyed by the lamb, thrown into the lake of fire along with his lieutenants. And he who tormented the righteous will himself be tormented forever and ever. And this is a, a very quick defeat, really. Get about a verse and a half of this. It's not much of a battle, the last battle, same, same as we saw last week. But the defeat, while brief, goes on and on and on and gloriously and praise God, it goes on and on and on. It is a for all time kind of defeat. This is, this is the opposite of what we saw before where the devil was given kind of a, a thousand year sentence and then was released. This is his life sentence. You might say he's sentenced to death except it's an ongoing and forever death. It's an always dying kind of death. It's a living death. And it goes on, it says, day and night, to point out the fact that there's no pause. There's no respite. It doesn't get a break in the, every evening. It's no reprieve. And it goes on forever and ever. There's no end. There's no conclusion. There's no completion. And justice will be done. And payment will be made, and what was sown will be reaped, and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And he does. And Christ's people are protected. And the bride, 
who just before had been besieged is defended and our Lord is victorious. And this is the final victory of Christ. It happens at the end of history and at the beginning of eternity. It's just a page flip. A whole new start of eternity now. And Satan is defeated and Jesus wins. Hallelujah. So church, let's see with eternal eyes here as well. Joy upon joy, Jesus wins. Eternal eyes are joyful eyes. Eternal eyes are joyful eyes. It doesn't make sense to have joyful eyes in this world. Sometimes maybe wedding day, you know, new child being born. There are a few days in life, okay, fine, where joy makes sense. A whole lot of life. Joy does not make sense if all you have are eyes for this world and this life. Eternal eyes are joyful eyes because eternal eyes see beyond all this to all of that where Jesus finally wins. Eternal eyes are joyful eyes. So listen, the saints, we, the Lord is good. He blesses us with many good days, but I will say the saints walk through some deep waters as well. There are difficult and trying things, tragic loss and deep doubts and ongoing temptations and tiring sorrows. And Christ warned us, he said, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And this is the take heart moment, friends, in our Bibles. Take heart, saints, it's not always gonna be like this. Take heart, Jesus wins. Time is ending, and with it all of this. And eternity is dawning, and with it all of that. Glory to God, Jesus wins. Our hope is not here. Our hope is there. Our hope is in him. So eternal eyes are, are joyful eyes. And friends, we, we can look back on the first victory of Christ and we have reason for joy in that one because that's what pulled us out of the kingdom of darkness. Glory to God, he plundered the enemy, bound the strong man, got us out of there. Thank you, Jesus, for your first victory. But eternal eyes are looking ahead to that final victory as well. When the kingdom of darkness is not just plundered, it's ended, it's done, it's over, it's fallen. Glory to God. So take heart, saints. Our Savior's coming. Take joy, saints. Savior's returning. We're gonna see this over and over. The rest of the book is just gonna keep saying this over and over, surely I am coming soon. Jesus says over and over, amen. Come Lord Jesus, he is coming soon. So eternal eyes are joyful eyes. Let's walk in joy, friends. And eternal eyes see the glory of the church. So let's serve each other, friends. Let's serve each other in these days of difficulty until we join the church in those days of glory around his throne. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together.
Oh, Lord, and your church says, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. These passages make us hungry to see that victory. Lord, we long for that day when you make all things new and set all things to right and defeat your enemies. Until that day, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we would have eternal eyes we would not be so busy looking down. Help us look up. See the glory that you have given even to our brothers and sisters here on earth. That we would serve each other with gladness. And Lord, give us joy and hope at the prospect of your victory. That even on our days of sorrow, that you would fill us with joy knowing that you're returning. Accomplish this, we pray within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.